Welcome back to the Work For It podcast. This is an interview with Jeremy Ballaball. Before we jump into the interview, I want to thank our sponsors. There's Maritime Knife Supply. If you are a knife maker or a maker in general, go check out maritimeknifesupply.ca or com. I think they're both. I'm not quite sure. You'll find it, I'm sure. Uh, but yeah, if you need anything for making knives or whatever you make, they ship really quick. Their prices are low and like they're just great guys. Go check them out. They're really nice people. Also, check out Baker Forge and Tool. If you're looking for Damascus that is absolutely next level, you can't go wrong with Koi Baker's uh, Baker Forge and Tool steel. Really, really cool designs. You can also get some Gator Piss, which is their ferric chloride, some sort of etching mix. Jeremy, do you know what's in that Baker, or that, that Gator Piss? Do we know? I haven't tasted it yet. <laughs> but yeah, definitely go check out Baker Forge and Tool for just the next level Damascus. It'll it, it's just so cool. Also, thank you to our Patreon supporters. Couldn't do the show without you. Let's get into this thing. How's it going, Jeremy? Thank you again. And this is the very first podcast that I'm doing in person. I've got Jeremy right across. Like I could I could reach out and touch you right now. That's crazy. It's been a it's been a good time. Yeah, luckily, you know, you live in Toledo, which is what? How long of a drive was it? Uh, two hours and fifty minutes. I said two hours, two hours and fifty minutes. Okay, so I mean, it's it's still a hike, and you know, we're getting right to the end of the day. You need to get your ass home. What what the hell are we doing on this podcast? That's what we're here for. Yeah, yeah, but well, besides I mean, a drywall, right? Oh, right, right, right. So. You know, Jeremy, tell me, like, what is your day, t day job? Because you helped me out quite a bit today. So our day job varies. Uh, we do, I've done scaffolding, I've done drywall, we've done metal studs, stick framing, uh, concrete forms. It it varies. It's just, uh, I'm a carpenter, so our trade varies from from task to task. So it's it's just general carpentry, you know, you're I mean, we we've talked about, you know, these crazy skyscrapers you've worked on. Yeah, the uh tallest building I was on was actually the tallest building in Toledo. Uh I didn't make it to the top, but I was up about 300 feet building scaffold out on I-beams. Now, is it is it like a a thing where you you're not you're only allowed to go up so high if you're so experienced or I mean, what was the deal? You couldn't make it to the top. So, that was my very first scaffold job. So, when I got there, you know, I asked, "Hey, you know, like how soon do you think before I get up in the air?" And they said, "Uh, well, we'll get you your harness today and you'll go up." <laughs> <laughs> so, no experience needed to be at any specific height. Did they at least ask you beforehand, like, are you, are you afraid of heights or? Well, they uh, they did ask, but it didn't really matter. There's like, well, you either are going to like it or you're not. You're going to figure out here real soon. Do you, I mean, working that job, I imagine there's a pretty high tur turnover rate. Like, you, you got to imagine, you know, doing those crazy heights isn't for everybody. I mean, I feel like for most guys, if they're getting into it, they know it's coming. Sure. So sure. now myself, I to be honest, when I got in the carpenters, I didn't know they, I didn't know anything about it. Sure. So my first weekend, I told my foreman, I said, I said I didn't think I'd swing a hammer this much. And he said, <laughs> What did you think you were getting into? I said, To be honest, I had no idea. Sure, sure. So you're swinging a hammer up there. So it's it's like you're working with wood. Are you doing any sort of welding up there? Or is it just carpentry? So right now, scaffolding. There's uh, different types. There's uh, you have like a modular system where it's big pieces that go together one way. 
or we're using a, like a single piece scaffold where pretty much if you can dream it, you can build it. Okay. And this scaffold is cup lock. So basically it's a, the, the bars have an ear and they fall into a cup and then it works on a, like a wedge system and you drive this cup and it tightens it down. So okay. all day you're swinging at a quarter to a half inch lip to spin these cups around. That sounds awful. <laughs> Luckily, it's funny. I had a kid on a another apprentice ask me on a job site. He goes, "Man, you're really good at swinging a hammer." He goes, "You know how? How'd you get so good?" I said, "You know, it's funny. Uh, when I get off of work, I go home and swing a hammer some more." <laughs> so I explained him the whole knife making thing, and he's like, "Oh, well, that makes sense." But you're really good at it. I'm like, "Well, right. you swing a hammer a thousand times a day, you get pretty good." So how long do you think it took from your first day you've never you've never done that job to like oh I'm I'm pretty damn comfortable. Uh depending on on the job scaffolding, I got comfortable really quick. I just picked it up. Sure. The heights didn't bother me, but now doing stuff like concrete formwork where it's 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 different from job to job. Like scaffolding won't change. It's always the same stuff. Okay. Concrete forms completely different. So it took me a while to be to like understand the system, how it worked, what we're gonna do, what's next. So I guess I guess it depends on the job. Yeah, yeah. And like, you know, you were talking about on the last podcast, you know, once you go up so high, uh, I, I know like I'm I'm hammering on this because I am terrified of heights. If you get me up like 10, 20 feet, if I'm on a second story building, like if there's a walkout thing, I'm like, yeah, maybe I don't look over the edge that close. <laughs> Well, currently we're doing, I'm at a refinery, so we're doing uh, a lot of confined space work in these vessels. claustrophobia. Screw that. <laughs> so some of these holes we're climbing into are, you know, only 18 inches wide. They might be two feet tall, but, you know, you're going in sideways. Uh, this this last vessel I was in uh, yesterday, uh, we climb in, and there's nothing for 50 feet down. <laughs> You're climbing down. It's not like you're climbing, you know, no. horizontally across. You're climbing down in eighteen inch. No, no, it's 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 horizontal. Okay, God, oh my God! Like I was just imagining like this death hole that you're like trying to shimmy down. Oh, not quite. Okay, we they, we climb. There was one vessel we climbed up into vertically that was tall, but we were climbing in from the bottom, so right that wasn't too big of a deal. This last one that was in yesterday was. It wasn't scary, but getting in your your first step to whatever's inside the vessel is three, four feet away. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. you gotta mm-hmm. you gotta tie off and make the leap of faith, I guess. See the thing, right? Oh, Jesus, these there's so many things I would not do well on this type of construction site. Oh uh, my god, <laughs> I, I don't know. I thoroughly thoroughly enjoy it, to be honest. Yeah, it's, it's different. Every every scaffold you build is different. Every vessel you climb into is different. Now, do you think that do you have like an innate like sense of oh my gosh, that's dangerous. I want to do it. No, I don't think it's like like I still respect it. Like okay. I fear it enough to understand that if I'm not safe and I don't do the things I'm supposed to do, it, it will kill me. Right. But it's not like I'm a thrill seeker in that sense. Okay, so you're not like evil can evil. You know, no, no, no. I'm still following all the OSHA rules and all that other BS. Right. Just, Most of the OSHA rules, not all. Like if you found fell all of them, you don't do anything, right? Leave that up to discretion. <laughs> you like to plead the fifth? Yes, sir. Okay. All right. All right. 
So I guess, um, you know, the, the construction thing, what, what was the, what made you decide that you want to go into this type of construction or what, what did you do before you did this? Uh, before it, I, before I worked at a, I worked at Ford, but it was for a contracted company. So I didn't actually work at, or like I worked at Ford, but not for Ford. Okay. And I was in college and it wasn't, wasn't for me. Okay. So before I decided that I was done with school, I asked my current, at the time, girlfriend, I said, let's, let's take a vacation before I go out and find whatever factory job that I'm going to get into. And I'll do that. So we went on vacation. Uh, my uncle said, Hey, uh, I got a buddy from back home coming out. He, can we go to dinner with them? Sure. Like, yeah, no problem. So we get to dinner and, you know, drinks are flowing, getting comfortable, just talking about whatever. And he go. he asked me what I did. So I, I told him and conversation went on and he decided, he's like, you like to build stuff just out of the blue. <laughs> I was like, I love to build stuff. Like, I don't know. It's, I have a great time or uh, I have a fun time doing it. He's like, you ever think about joining the carpenters? I said, what's that? <laughs> so when I went to high school, they told us, Hey, pretty much you don't go to a four year school. You're not going to make any money. Right. So out of school, I'm like, I don't know what I want to do, but I guess I'm going to school because got to make a paycheck. Sure. So I told him, or he explained to me what carpentry was, like what they do. I was like, sure. Sounds like fun. See, if I was in that position, like I heard, if I hear, oh, you want to join the carpenters, I'm thinking like, oh, I'm going to be building desks or I'm going to be building these wood ornate whatever. Not like my first leap is to like the artsy, you know, crazy desk thing, not, you know, construction. See, this is uh, more of a, like an industrial carpenter, not like a right, uh, right. residential. I can do residential, but it doesn't pay the same. Right. It's pretty, pretty bad to be honest. Well, it's, it's kind of like, you know, it's one of those things, just like knife making, you start off and you, you can't sell the top dollar things and you have to build your name for yourself. And you know, right. it's just not the... It's the artsy way to go. So he, you know, he said, "Hey, there's a there's a job 15 minutes from your house. He sure. goes, if you want in, I'll, I'll get you in Monday." And I was like, "Oh, you know, I'd like to give my boss like two weeks notice." And he's like, "No, it's it's Monday or nothing." Mm. I was like, um, "That's a big decision." So I went into work and I told my boss the situation, and but he wasn't happy. Well, yeah, which you know can't expect him to be, but he uh, he understood. He asked me if it was a. a lifetime career and i said i said if i enjoy it i said it there's large possibility that's what i do for the rest of my life right and i haven't been back there you go there you go i mean i know you you took a a short stint of going full time um i guess you know you got right you know you you went full time you are in that house that you're currently in during that correct just recently yeah um so i to get my journeyman's card, you have to take classes here as an apprentice. Okay. So when I found out that I could journey out, if I took classes all month of November, I decided that's 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 what I'm going to do. I'm going to top out in the pay scale. I'm going to get my card. I'm going to be done with school. And after that, it was three weeks until Christmas. Okay. And I said, I, I have a ton of knives to make. Like my, <laughs> my books are past due and lots of orders. So right. I, I was like... I don't, I, I won't go back to work. I'll finish these knives because what's the sense of going to work for a contractor for three weeks, go to Christmas, 
work a few days, and then there's New Year's, and then I leave for vacation, which is a 10-day deal. Right. So we'll, we'll come back to your vacation because I want to <laughs> talk about that situation. But So there wasn't – it didn't – to me, it didn't make sense to try and find a job to upset an employer because I'm going to have to have all this time off. Sure. So I was I, – I knew I had enough knives that if I could – if I could finish them – in my amount of time off that, you know, bills wouldn't be a problem. Sure. So if my books were always like that, I could probably drop the carpenter thing. Right. I I guess the question is, which one do you get more? If you could do either of them full time, which one would you switch to? Or which one would you pick? Knives. Yeah, I figured. I figured. Like, I don't, I don't want to work for someone else. I like, I'd rather work 80 hours for, I'd rather work 80 hours for me than work 40 hours for a man. Wait, hold on. Is Brian House in this conversation real quick? Where where are you, Brian? I I had uh I had about three hours to catch up on podcast. <laughs> yeah, that'll do it. That'll oh yeah, driving here. Duh. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, because I've been working sixty plus hours a week, so not like I've had time to keep up on that. And what's just absolutely assholeish of me is you have you work six days a week currently, right? Six, seven, whatever they ask. Right. And the one day you get off, you're like I, first of all, like you did not have to drive all the way out here and help me out. But on your one day out, you drive three hours, hang drywall for me. And like, you know, you get some pizza and some carbon fiber. And it's just like, you know, you get one day off and you're out here working for it. It's, it's, but it was fun. Yeah. I, know, I, did, I enjoyed doing it. Although next time I head out, I'd like to see the forge up and running. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. For sure. And, uh, you know, hopefully... I, I guess is is this job a thing that you're going to have to be working six days a week like until you quit? So this refinery has been having issues, and oh. when it got super cold during Christmas, they uh, they they had enough issues where they shut it down and did more or less an emergency outage. Okay, so it's supposed to be short term. It's uh, I think they said March ish, okay. beginning of March. So the crazy hours don't last. So hopefully they'll offer me a spot on either maintenance or the RBMI project and that'll be 40 hours a week. What what are those two projects? Like can you can you tell us? I mean, I you just listed off some letters and I have no idea what the hell that is. Maintenance is just they keep a crew of guys there for anything the operators for the refinery needs. Sure. So you know, hey, we got to turn a valve. Sure. Build a scaffold to get to it. Okay. RBMI is don't know they (laughs) it's it's like their title for their billing okay so it's it's like a code for their billing i guess okay they have to put in so many man hours and they have to be able to bill it for a certain project because projects are bid for so much so they i think they divide it up that way to to be able to figure out how many hours and how much money has gone into that project to know hey we can afford some overtime or yeah, we got to cut these guys back to 40 hours because uh, money's running thin. So when you're back to 40 hours a week and you have a little bit more time, then maybe at that point you and your wife could come on up up here for like a weekend and, you know, you and I could push out a couple knives or two. Absolutely. Yeah, it'd be a lot more fun than hanging drywall. <laughs> if, we hit, if we get to 40 hours. Right, if, if. There's, now, always, there's always a chance that I they don't offer me a spot back and ooh. I have to go look for work again. So what happens in that situation? Because like I, I imagine with this, it's all about who you know and like the, oh, I've worked for this guy and that guy and that guy. 
Uh, they do help us out. They have a, a like, uh, if you're out of work, they, it's an out of work list. So if you're out of work, you can get on this list and they'll have guys call you when they need, they need workers. Sure. So if they don't offer me this, I'll go on the out of work list and chances are it'll be about the time they're starting a solar field in Fayette. Where's that? Northwest Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> I I mean, I, I kind of vaguely, I know Michigan pretty well. I Just a small town, 40 minutes from. Oh, okay. All right. That job won't be 40 hours. That's that's another one where it's busting ass. It'll be 60 hours, probably. Ugh. 58, so, 60 hours, something like that. Before you said, I would rather work 80 hours for myself than 40 hours for someone else. Well, what happens if working 80 hours for someone else? Like, Jesus. Yeah, but it, it pays the bills and it pays for new toys. It does. Like uh, the, the the Apollo Forge. What? What? See, the thing is, is I've never actually heard about this Apollo Forge. So what, get, the, what the hell's going on with that thing? Sounds like a mess, to be honest. A, logi- a logistical nightmare. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> so you had, you were in the first 50 of the Apollo Forge. Barely. Barely, barely, right. So what was the experience trying to buy that thing? Because Brian kind of so- sold you on the, oh, well, it's not going to sell very quick. You got time to get on it. Which is funny because listening to the podcast on the way up, you know, Brian talks about how, oh, oh, you know, this, these won't these won't sell out in a day. Right. So, you know, you guys release podcasts at like 6 a.m. or something crazy. 4 a.m., but yeah. Whatever. Yeah. (laughs) Before I'm awake. Yeah. So I'm expecting this forge to drop, you know, similar time. So I get up for work about 6. I look, no forge. Okay. About 7 o'clock, get to work, no forge. Mm. Like, all right, we're starting to push at 8 o'clock. You know, we start getting our tools on. We got to go to work and no forge. Mm. It's like, okay, maybe, maybe it's delayed. You never know. Product problems. Uh, Break rolls around about 10 o'clock, 1030, something like that. I hop on. It's been live for like two hours. Right. Sometime around eight-ish. I think Brian said it went live. There was 14 left. Yeah, out of the original 50. Oh, don't. uh, You know, Brian said they sold out, what, eight hours? Eight and a half hours, he said. Eight and a half. And Brian was like, oh, you'll be fine. Right. They'll, They'll be available all day. Right. Right, no. Not so much. Well, you know, you got in on it, though. It panned out. Yeah. So I got everything at the house except the forge and the bricks. So you got all of the forge except for the forge. I mean, what what are you complaining about? All the plumbing's there. Yeah. I could I should probably get some steel and build a stand. Yeah, probably. It's, considering it weighs 80-some pounds. Well, what's your plan with it? What I mean, compare that to the forge that you're currently working on with. Uh, well, Brian talks about how he, f- he, well, he talks about that it's more efficient. He doesn't know that it's a lot more efficient as far as propane use. Sure. But the, like, I'm currently running a, a forge that has the kale wool and satanite. Sure. And we talked about earlier how, you know, now we have kale wool dust floating around and it's, it's just not a good thing. So these- you know, cancer, cancer is a word that we don't like to think about around here tread lightly yeah but so this forge will have the bricks and they'll they'll be easy to replace which is very attractive sure um just a ribbon burner ever it just seems to be the gold standard like that's what people want right they don't want to pay for it but that's i don't know why it's it's what they want i'm just excited to get one sure sure. and then what i think is really nice is it's 18 inches long so when i get my press finished 
Damascus, an 18-inch build of Damascus cuts up really nicely into three. Right. So being able to cut, restack at 18 inches, I won't, you know, I'll just make the length of the forge and it'll, right. it'll just be easy. Right, right. Whereas my current forge is like maybe a foot deep. It's not, it's not ideal. Right. So now instead of playing the, okay, we'll, we'll work on one half of the Damascus and then work on the other half and, you know, trying to figure out, okay, which one's more squished than the other. Well, now I'm also thinking like, you know, I made a, a sand mine billet the other day by hand. Sure. And that, that ended up getting a little long. I sure. was like, I'm going to have to cut this down and, and forge my knife out of it. But I'm, you know, I, it's like, I can work on the blade or I can work on the handle. I can't do both. Right. So the, the length will be nice when I get the press finished, it'll be really nice for Damascus and pickle. And Brian have showed that with uh, prototypes. Sure. It's going to do the, it'll do the job. Yeah, for sure. Now tell me about the uh, the press build that you're doing. I I guess I I kind of knew that you're doing the press build, but I yeah, I fell off of it. I don't know if you just haven't been posting about it much. So I got the frame all put together, and there's a few things, like uh, the main the main pillar that I'm doing is a it's a large chunk of steel, and my dad has the tools to to cut it up to to manipulate it the way I need to, but uh, I'd like him to be there. To help me out. Sure. It's, I don't run a cutoff torch very often. And it's, right. It's inch and a quarter plate. It's, it's heavy duty. Yeah. That's, that's not screwing around. No, no. So plasma, well, his plasma cutter won't cut it. So we have to use a torch. So are you just doing like the H frame construction? I'll just, just be honest about it. I'm, I'm going to rip off coal ironworks. There it is. There it is. I there, mean, they're, they're doing like, the best design out there why not you know it's it's not going to be a coal ironworks but like you know in the end it, it comes down to money yeah and it's i mean people rip off brian house's grinder and it's not like i'm selling it ah. i'm not i'm not out here <laughs> posing as being like oh this is their press but they have a great design <sighs> we gotta tread lightly here <laughs> it's it's great that like it, it's a great press i yeah. just don't have five grand Right. So how much in all of the materials and I, I imagine you've got the the press, like the body of the press and the motor. How much do you think you've got into it all altogether? So far, not a lot. Okay. I've bought angle iron to to build my frame with. Okay. And my dad's donated a lot. A lot. Oh. So he's going to donate his time, his tools and his steel. Okay. He needed a, a chunk of steel for something and he... For the for the piece he needed, it was X amount of dollars. Sure. Well, for that, he could buy the whole piece. Right. For like an extra hundred bucks, it was like four times amount. Okay. So he's like, screw it, I'll just buy the whole thing, and then it's just been laying around collecting dust. So when I ask him about it, he's like, Yeah, I don't care. I don't have any plans for it. <laughs> so, dear dad, does your dad do that like with a lot of things? Does he just like, ah, oh, screw it, I'll I'll buy that and I'll I'll have a use for it. It's kind of like my welder. He decided, you know what? I think I need a different welder. Goes out, gets a welder. Sure. I'm like, hey, Dad, what are you doing with that little welder? Oh, that thing? Oh, I thought about getting rid of it. Why, <laughs> why do you want it? I'm like, well, I don't have a welder. That'd be nice. Sure. And it's it's garbage. Well, you know, it but is what it is. It's free it garbage. It does the job. Right. And, you know, I the did you see the welder that Pickle got? 
Didn't you get like a three grand, like this mega crazy welder? It's really nice. Yeah. I talked to my dad about it and he's like, yeah, that's a really nice welder. Not for me. Not yet. But I'd love to learn how to TIG weld. Right. So I guess, do you have a lot of welding experience or are you building this project without doing a whole lot? So, well, I put together the the uh, the revolution with my dad. Yep. But uh, all he did was drill holes. So the welding side of things, dad, dad used to weld for a living. Gotcha. He, he that put, makes a lot more sense. He put trailers together. So I, I don't know. My dad and I have always been interested in the same things. So, you know, he, he taught me how to weld. So I've okay. been welding for, I don't know, not that I have like years of experience or anything, but you know, if, if it comes down to needing to stick weld or MIG weld something together, I feel pretty confident in doing it. So when's the day that you guys are going to, you're going to get your dad in the knife shop and build a knife with him, Or is he not just not interested in that? That's a good question. I've never asked him if he was interested, probably because he already owns one of my knives, but uh, yeah, but still there's, there's a whole nother experience there. I'm, that's a great question. I'm going to have to ask him. Maybe that's a father's day type thing. Hmm. I'll have to ask. So, Daddy Ballaball, when you're listening to this, when your son comes up to you on Father's Day and say, hey, my big gift for you this year is we're going to build a knife together, you can thank me for that idea. I think, I'm just putting that out there. I think he's got a forge it out. Oh, does he? No stock removal. Wait, so he's got a forge, did you just say? No, no, he'll come to my place and forge. Okay, okay. Well, yeah, you've got you've got the new, you know, Brian House Apollo Forge. You got to use it. Dad didn't even, uh, Dad didn't even buy the knife from me. He won it in a raffle. What? Your dad? Oh, hold on. That's that's ridiculous. So the uh, in- wait a second. So how many people were in on that raffle? Because I'm calling some bullshit. Um, it was my bachelor party. Okay. So I don't know. Maybe oh. maybe fifty tickets. Oh, okay. Maybe it was like a local type wanna, of thing. You want to hear the thing that really upset people? Was what my was dad, that? My dad won the knife. Yeah. He won the 50-50. <gasps> we did this thing where they spun me around and I threw a dart at a card. And if you hit the card, you won whatever <laughs> half the pot. He won that as well. <laughs> so your dad was just like racking it all up. Fortunately, he decided, he said, uh, he's like, keep the 50-50. He's like, that, that's my gift to you. Oh, Jesus. Like, oh, okay. Thanks, Which, Dad. Yeah, thanks. You dad. won enough, right? <laughs> so I guess, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know if he's using it. If it's sitting there collecting dust, because I know the one grandma wanted is uh, currently hanging on the wall. What kind of a knife was it? Just a uh, forge finish, um, raised clip, Hunter, with, uh, I think it was Spalding Maple, maybe? All right, so it was like a hunting knife. It wasn't yeah. like, because I imagine, I, I guess I, I don't know your family as well, but like with my family, you know, half of the half of them hunt, half of them don't. So I'm thinking, like, if it was a chef knife, everybody could use. So, yeah, where I've where I grew up is everybody hunts, pretty much, more or less, except my dad. Dad didn't hunt, so going back and forth from school and elementary, these my friends would talk about hunting all the time. Sure, talk squirrel hunting, deer hunting. I had no idea, so I go home and I'm like, Dad, I want to hunt. I want to get my hunting license. Sure. He's like, Well, who's gonna take you? <laughs> I was like, What do you mean? Right. He's like, He's like, I don't hunt. I've never right. hunted. How are you going to learn? Yeah. They took me out anyways. See, that was that's very similar to my high school where it's like everybody hunts. Every, every Everybody, you know, hunting like the first day of deer season, whitetail season, school has to be off. 
they once tried to have school in my high school on the opening day, and there wasn't enough people that showed up, and they had to cancel school. It's not that bad, but they they definitely have a lot of sick kids. Yeah, come, come yeah, oh, yeah, season. yeah, yeah. They got they got buck fever. Tragic. Yeah, that was never me. I wasn't allowed. Of course, I didn't I didn't get good grades either, though. So well, you know. Stay in school. I feel like I feel like that's the the thing with makers in general. It, I don't know if it's like well, I mean, not all makers, of course. You know, you can't say that about everybody. But it seems like a lot of knife makers or a lot of makers didn't really do a whole lot or didn't do well in school, but were smart like tactily. They they had a mind. They have a mind for like building something or figuring out how something works. They were the type of people that would like, oh well, that that machine or something. I want to take that apart and put it back together. Was that was that you as a kid? Yeah, pretty much. To a yeah, T. did terrible in school, but I wasn't wasn't dumb by any means. Right. I'm just. I don't know if I just learned different. Like that's not the way the school system is. They don't they don't push like that manual labor. You know, they want ever at least when I was in school, they wanted everyone to go be an engineer or go be a nurse or. Right. Whatever. If you, if I would have brought up the idea of telling a teacher like, "Hey, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go make knives for a living," they would have <laughs> laughed. Right. Right. Which is, which is sad, honestly. Right. And like you're just a few years behind me, so you know I, it was the exact same way where it's like, okay, you're you're gonna grow up and be a teacher, or a doctor, or a lawyer. Or, you know the the thing that you see in every town. Eventually, you'd think that these schools push so many engineers and nurses that. We wouldn't have room for them. Right. At some point, you'd be like, oh, oh, we're really lacking in the trades department. And oh. that's ex- that's exactly what's going on right now. There's such a shortage in trades, and there's such a surplus in, you know, universe. Like, you have to have a doctor, you know, not a doctorate, but, like, you know. A bachelor's, bachelor's RN, BSN, whatever. Right. It's, I don't know. I'm, I'm just glad I went down the path that I did because I wasn't going to make it anywhere else. I would have right. ended up in a factory, and I probably would have hated life. See, that's how – you said that you went to college briefly, right? Yeah. Where did you go? What were you studying? It was just a community college. Um, tried out – what did I give a try? Mechanical engineering tech. Okay. Couldn't do the math. Oh, well. Too, mu- too much algebra. Not, not my strong suit. Sure. Not great with that. Um, so I switched to more of a maintenance type of thing. We're like preventative maintenance. So I would still would have been in a factory, but not doing factory work, if that makes sense. Yeah, I was telling you about the the guy that work, lives just a couple doors down, my buddy from college. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what he does. Oh, yeah. But that wouldn't have been a bad career for me. But as soon as you know, I I took the leap to to be a carpenter, and I just. I don't know. People are like, why? Why didn't you be a pipe fitter? They make they make twice as much, and it's like, I could, but I I like what I do, and that's what makes being a full time maker so so difficult. I think. Right. It's like I actually like what I do. Right. Would it be nice to be a night a full time maker? Yeah. Is it feasible? I'm not saying it's not possible, but it's it seems rather unlikely. Yeah, and like, especially with knife making, there's such the roller coaster, the high sales on Christmas and tax season, and the low sales at the beginning of the year in summer, where yeah. it's just like you know you're you're living high in the hog for a couple months, and then you're like scraping it by for a couple months. And it and it almost kind of works out nice for me because there will be times where work gets really slow, but if my knife orders are kind of backed up, then I have that time off. I'm. I can. I'll still be able to pay pay the bills. 
You know what I mean? Like I can, I got to take a month off, month and a half off to, to make knives because there's not a whole lot of work around. It's going to work for me. And like, you know, it also keeps knife making fresh and fun for you. It's not like you have to go out there every single day or, you know, the bills aren't going to get paid. Right. It's not a job as much. I don't know. It still seems like it would be fun. Like I just, I, I miss being out there. Yeah. Like even the thought of like hand sanding this kitchen knife. It sounds appealing. See, that's where I know that you're either crazy or you're not doing it enough where hand sanding sounds appealing. I mean, I I went out and slapped a handle on a knife the other night and ground it, and I was like, I'm going to stay up and hand sand this. Mm. I didn't, well, but I want to. Yeah. It's, I, I want to get home from work, and I want to go do that, but there's just some days where you're crawling around in the confined space all day, and you're passing – parts that weigh 40, 50 pounds and you got to pass 70 of them. Right. It's taxing. Yeah. And like, you know, you don't want to be out there. I remember when I would go and work at target, I know it's not nearly the same, but like you, you haul water all day and it's just like, you know, at the end of the day, I'm dog tired. And then you go out in the shop and you're kind of a little bit drowsy or especially back then I do live streams and work at the same time. And like, you're not only are you tired, and you're, you know, physically tired, you're mentally tired, you're, tr- you're half distracted doing something else. And then you're working with, you know, dangerous machinery. What the fuck could go wrong? <laughs> there was plenty of times the other night working on that uh, chef knife where I told myself, slow down. Because this customer wants a specific uh, handle material. And I've done it before where I go to put the, like the bevels on the front of the scales. Sure. And I messed them up. I put them on the wrong side. Oh, my goodness. And you just can't switch that scale to the other side. Like, it doesn't work that way. No, right. So it it took – I really had to slow myself down. I was just really excited to be out there and, and be working on it. But at the same time, I was like, you make a mistake, and you're going to be one unhappy kid. Right, right. So switching gears a little bit, you just got back from, you know, obviously you've been married, but now you're honeymoon. That was a trip and a half. Especially for my wife, considering it was her first time flying and they had the FAA oh problem. Oh, my God. That is awful. It, it so, was... first of all, let's let's back up a little bit. What what was the trip? I, like, going into it, what did you plan? So, it was just an all-inclusive in St. Lucia. Nice. So, we uh, – it to, to, I guess the worst part about going there, now that I've talked to people after the fact, is getting there. Because there's only, I think we look, there's like four flights that leave the States to go to St. Lucia. Okay. So that means layovers are awful. Right. So when we flew out of Detroit into Charlotte, we had a 12-hour layover until our next flight. Right. I, let's, instead of talking about what happened, let's, what was like, what was the plan? Like you were, I, I remember you saying like, okay, we're going to go down here and then we're going to spend a day you know, on the way back, you were going to try to make stops at different places. If I'm maybe I'm I'm misremembering. I could be wrong. You're looking at me like I'm crazy. No, not this trip. I mean, okay. it was I mean, it was pretty pretty much go down, hang out for a week and come back and head home. There was other stuff in between because of flights and all that. But right. Just a one stop drop. So how, how is St. Lucia? Like, I, I have no idea what what is what what is it like in St. Lucia? Well, they never get their record low is like sixty degrees Fahrenheit. Oh my god! So it's uh, it's nice. It it was warm when we got off the airplane, and I'm wearing jeans and a sweatshirt. Yeah, and it's eighty percent humidity. Mm-hmm. It's seventy five. It was toasty. Oh no, that sounds awful. Which <laughs> I would have loved to trade 
this week for for that week. It's yeah. been cold this week. Man, speaking of, we're we're recording this um pickle cutters uh, just a little sidebar. I feel bad for him this week because um where he lives, he was showing me the uh wind chill map and like it was like negative 40 or like 40 negative 50 and I thought there was a spot of like negative 70 or something crazy. And that that was the day that he was planning on or had tickets to fly down to Florida to hang out with Brian House in, you know, Florida, where it's 70 degrees on the plus side, not 70 degrees on the negative side. And then, of course, you know, he his flight got canceled because of the crazy weather. So he had to stay, you know, just imagine, you know, your entire week you're looking forward to, oh, my God, all this crazy cold is coming through, but I'm going to escape it. And then all of a sudden you can't. That doesn't even sound like enjoyable snowboarding. Oh my god, no! Like no, that's no like instant death. You walk outside and you're frostbitten in a couple minutes. Not not pleasant. No. Side note: You see, America reached its coldest wind chill temperature ever recorded, negative 108. Where the hell was that? Some mountain over by the east coast. Uh, that sounds about right. Goodness, that's wild. Stay inside. Yeah, stay inside. Don't don't go out in that type of shit. But but St. Lucia was St. Lucia was fun. They uh the locals uh, one of the excursions we did, we got to hang out with the locals and eat the local food and uh they they grow a lot of bananas there. So we had we had all kinds of bananas from green bananas with garlic to banana dessert. Okay. But it was uh it was nice. I wasn't quite ready for the the relaxation cuz when we when we travel, we we do stuff. So just to hang out and do nothing. Right. It was odd. It was it was fun. I just wasn't prepared, I guess. Yeah, I've always noticed that with any vacation, like when Emily and I go to like Chicago or something like that, you go there and you have like every day they're okay, we're gonna go check out this, we're gonna go to this thing, we're gonna shop over there, we're gonna walk over to this thing. Like you go to vacation and you never relax. Right. So it's just it's very different. You know, usually we go hike in the mountains or something. Right. Well, you're not going to go hike in the mountains in St. Lucia without a guide because you're not going to find your way back. Right. But it was it was nice, but then we're back to reality. So on the way back, you ran into, like, some crazy flying experience. Yeah. So considering it was my wife's first time flying, she did really well with figuring out how to switch our flights and get back home at around the same time. It was it was a nightmare, right? But the FAA thing happened that week, right? It was that that morning. We're getting ready to leave, and someone mentions, "Hey, did you guys hear what happened with the FAA?" Nope, not even sure what the FAA is. So we start looking into it, and they're like, "All all planes in the states have been grounded." Right. First time since nine eleven, all planes are grounded. Really? Yeah, I did not know that. Yep. So we sat around and waited, and waited. Until it was 9 a.m. in the States, like our time. Sure. And then they they started taking taking off, but it, it just pushed everything back. Well, I, I kind of read into that a little bit. It sounded like there's some sort of like technical glitch where there is something with their trajectory, or not trajectory, but something with the computers just went wrong. There was just something wrong with it. So they couldn't like, you couldn't know where planes were precisely which it's kind of a kind of a big deal that's a problem (laughs) yeah you'd think you'd be able to see them coming right well i mean still i mean you got to know where the planes are in the sky right so 
we finally got out of St. Lucia and they shipped us off to Puerto Rico and dumped us there and said, Hey, your pilots, uh, they timed out. They don't, they can't fly anymore. So we have to wait for someone to fly in from, from Miami to get you out of there. Jesus. It's like, all right, you knew that was coming before you left Miami. Right. Like there's, there's simple math here. Yeah. Yeah. So then we sat in Puerto Rico for six hours. Oh, geez. And flew to Miami. At least Puerto Rico's nice. Like it's, it's sunny. It's warm. It was nighttime. Oh, because our flight left at midnight. That's oh right. So we got in at like six. They're like, "Well, your next flight's at midnight." Oh Jesus! I mean, after you get through customs and all that, you know, it's still four hours, but not enjoyable. But we made it. Yeah, and we still made it home with it was like two or three hour difference from when we were supposed to be home, which I thought was amazing. Yeah, that's not bad at all. No, considering considering everything else, but. You know, if my wife didn't, if she wasn't the planner, she was. Right. Maybe we'd still be in Puerto Rico. I don't know. Man, I would be an anxious ball of like just, I would, I would be in a corner like having a conniption fit. Well, <laughs> it's uh, it's funny because usually that's the way she is. But she, yeah. I don't know. Maybe she just really wanted to be at home, but she got it figured out. She said, hey, this is when our next flight is. We got on a plane. We, we went, got to New York. Detroit, we were home. Boom, just like that. Yeah. Well, that's not too bad. Like, I I guess, you know, you and I were messaging a little bit through it. So yeah, when, I remember you messaging me that morning, like, hey, dude, are you all right? You going to be able to get home? Right. Right, because I, I saw the FAA thing. And I think when I originally saw it, like, it didn't dawn on me. Like, I, I guess I didn't connect the dots. And then, like, a couple hours later, it just, like, bing in the back of my head. Like, oh, shit, Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> and and at the time, what I thought it was, and again, I got my wires crossed. I thought you were in Mexico at Sandals. So I thought you were like stuck in Mexico in Sandals for, you know, a couple days extra because nothing's flying. And, you know, in Sandals, I know the thing is like you can you can be any, you know, anywhere on the grounds, you know, you can go. But like you step out of Sandals and like shit can go wrong. It's funny that I didn't know that, that, you know. They were that uptight about it. But yeah. as soon as we got to the edge of Sandals, we're walking the beach, and this lady comes out to us. She goes, are you are you going to continue this way? We're like, yeah, we're going to walk the beach. She asked for our names and our room number. And yeah. then she sat there and watched us walk down the beach. We came back, and we crossed the property line. She went and sat down. Oh. So I don't know if they're, like, looking out after us, or they're just like, yep, they left their room. Right. They left the resort at 11 a.m. And uh, well, well, we haven't seen them since. Liability type of a situation. It was kind of strange. But. Wow. So you're. There's different. I just assumed Sandals was just in Mexico. I thought. I didn't realize that they were different. Sandals is all over. In Jamaica, Barbados, St. Lucia, Mexico, okay. Cuba, all over. Right. They got a lot of spots. Okay. I guess I'm, that's just the only one that I heard about, but yeah, that's that's a bizarre thing. Was there anything else on the trip that was bizarre? I guess when you're talking about the bananas, do bananas taste different fresh? Because I imagine they have they have to come all the way up here. There's got to be something wrong with them. I mean, kind of. Okay. Like, There's slightly. I don't know. Like I thought their coconut and pineapple was by far like the best I've ever had. Okay. They're not the same as the states. Okay. The bananas not near as much, but their pineapple was phenomenal. Okay. Uh, they had a banana farm that was a mile by a mile wide. That's interesting. So I figured out how many bananas there were roughly in a mile. 
the drivers were laughing hysterically. They thought it was wild. See, what's funny is before you said, you know, I'm I'm not good enough at math to be an engineer, but here you are on your free time trying to figure out how many bananas are in a square mile. It's roughly 2.7 billion if you're curious. Of course it is. Of course it is. 2.7 billion, that can't be right. Well, did you know that banana trees, once they produce their bunch of bananas, they die? Really? So these guys will cut down the tree, and then it'll grow another tree from the roots. Interesting. I thought that was very interesting. So, so I asked them. I said, how many bananas grow in a bunch? They said 60 to 80. Okay. Their trees are roughly six foot apart. They're all windrowed. Okay. Did the math, and I was like, that's a lot of bananas. That is a lot. A billion, though? 2.7 billion. 2.7 billion? Yes. That just doesn't sound like that sounds too big, you know? It's a lot. That's a shit ton of bananas. We've got a banana tree every six feet. I guess. That's wild math. It's a lot of trees. It's a lot of trees. They thought it was funny. I thought it was funny. Yeah. It was, it was fun. Sure. If you ever if you ever get a chance, go to Walmart, buy yourself some green bananas, and put garlic on them. Yeah? You wouldn't even think Just bananas and garlic? You wouldn't even know they're bananas. Are you, I'm assuming you're like sauteing that or something. Sure, you could try that. You, wait, hold on. So you were having just raw bananas with raw garlic on it. All right, all right. They might have been cooked. Okay. I was going to say, that sounds awful. <laughs> no, but when we went and ate with the locals, they they're, I was like, what is this? They're like green bananas and garlic. Green bananas and garlic. They said that sounds disgusting. But I'll try it because it's sure. local. It's like that's that's St. Lucian food. That's part of it. Like you go on a trip, you got to try the crazy shit. Right. Didn't even taste like bananas. You wouldn't okay. know. It was really weird. Now, hold on. Before I asked you if bananas taste different there, and you said it tasted nothing like bananas. Well, it's green bananas. Okay. They don't Green bananas don't taste like banana. Oh. I guess yellow bananas taste like banana. Okay. <laughs> oh, shit. So, coming back to the states, um, stateside, is there some sort of a project? I know you've got a couple knife orders backed up. Correct? I have a few. Yeah. I have a few. So I guess, do you have any sort of like big, you know, anything coming down the pipeline that you're looking forward to? Um, I've recently reached out to, somebody invited me on a Facebook page where they do, they do raffles of stuff. And nice. so, oh my God, I don't know who this guy is, but there's like a thousand people in this group. And I reached out to him and I said, hey, any chance you'd want to raffle off an, a knife of mine? And he was all about it. Sure. So he, he's like, well, do you have anything available? I'm like, no, but I could I could probably whip something up. And he's like, sure. what if we just do, uh, like, it could be a, excuse me, it could be a custom knife, but, you know, if they want to add on, do this or that. And I was like, yeah, well, you know, whatever. Sure. So he told me how many spots he was going to do, figured out a number, so I could, you know, decide what kind of knife I was going to make. But actually, it was really successful. It really? sold out in like a day. No shit. So then the guy contacted me and he said, uh, I said, what do you want? And he's like, I just want a six inch blade on a hunting knife. He said, the rest is up to you. So okay. I was like, all right, I'll just, I'll upgrade you to stainless steel for that. Right. Because anytime someone's willing just to let you do whatever you want. Right. You like, have fun with it. Yeah, exactly. So I'm doing a hidden tang six inch hunting knife. What kind of a blade shape on that thing? Um, It's like, it's it honestly looks like, like a mini Bowie. Ooh, yeah, I like that. So I'm pretty excited about that. Um, I got a chef knife in the works for the neighbors. That's a stainless steel one that I actually think's turning out really well. Is that the one upstairs that we're talking about? Yes. Nice. So I got some 
handle contouring to do, yeah. some thinning out. But I think in the end, it's it's going to be a really solid knife. Yeah, I'm actually kind of jealous because I kind of want to keep this one. <laughs> I don't really you hate like that feeling? It. it happens with a lot of them, though. Well, that means that you like every knife that you're finishing, it's the best knife that you've ever done. And it's like every time you finish your best knife, like, oh, shit, I have to give this away now. It's all right. Yeah. Because they're always getting better. Yeah. You always you always feel bad for the, the early ones, but you always look forward to the later ones. Yeah. You know they're going to be better. Every better. time. Yeah. So I guess the what I was trying to push you towards, I know we kind of talked about it briefly upstairs. Oh, uh, my podcast setups and downstairs and whatever. Uh, so we we're talking about upstairs about my idea with the chopper challenge. And then you said that you were going to get in on it. Oh, well, yeah, I'd absolutely love to get in on it. Get in on it. Do you but know I'm... what you, do you have like a rough idea? No, you're not. Or do you have a rough idea, but you just don't want the competition to know? going to be damascus okay and that's 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 as far as i've gotten well let's workshop this a little well, bit i've never all right i've uh i, I kind of like the idea of like a camp knife style okay. like i'm making that that six inch camp knife the okay. sami one i like the shape of that okay. but i'd like to go bigger yeah like you gotta go bigger like it's a competition you gotta like i'm talking like pushing the limits of my my uh my oven okay. whatever i can fit diagonally in that thing how big is your paragon i think oven? i think it's 18 deep 18 deep, so how wide? Maybe eight-ish. All right, so I mean, you, you could maybe, probably get a 19. 11. It's, it's good size. It's not like a square. It's it's rectangular. Okay. It's Gosh, I don't know. It's really deceiving because on the outside, like it measures like 33 long. Right. But, but that's can, just because it's all that insulation. Yeah, much fire brick. Yeah. So that'd be – because I – Actually, recently I've been kind of following the last blade standing mm-hmm. competition because Tucker Dorsey's in it, and we're good friends. And now I really want to make a sword, and I cannot figure out how I'm going to temper this thing. Like that is my biggest. Like I do not want to torch temper it. Yeah, right, right. Like, I want the real deal, but it's not going to fit in my oven. Yeah, I wonder if I could send it off to Carver Gage. I I know that. I mean, there are people that you could send stuff off to to get them tempered or whatever. What I did with my sword is I heat treated in that we, they had a 32 inch uh, paragon. Okay. So we heat treated in that thing, and then we drop you basically just try to dump all the heat out of it, and then we did temper cycles in it, and then it still had a little bit of a warp after the second temper cycle. So I did another shim temper. I took it home and put it in the oven, and like it, it, it set diagonally in the oven. But like the the end of the the tang stuck out of the oven, and basically I just tucked that in the corner, and then I put like tin foil, like I stuffed it with tin foil to try to like keep as much heat in there as possible. But I feel like you're only getting up to four hundred degrees, so like eh, it'll be fine. I'm also wondered, I don't know what the flash point of oil is, but what if you stuck a, a heater, like I, I think. <sighs> Uh, Colton Aries has done this. I feel like he does it with his coffee. That's where I'm getting the idea from. He has a tank and he does his coffee solution in there for these really long blades. And he'll stick this element in there. That like a, a sous vide type, th- type of a thing. What? A sous vide. Like it's a, uh, have you ever seen like, uh, those tubs of, it's like a cooking thing. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like and you would... put a little wand in the corner of a tub of water and you, you put steak. Well, I mean you, you, um, Put yeah, it like in vacuum a bag. seal vacuum steak. Seal yeah, bag. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was looking for. So 
Uh, but obviously you can't get water to 400 degrees. No, 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 no. It steams at, you know, 212. Right. So my idea is if oil, if oil's flashpoint is low enough, that could be feasible. Well, the it, the oil would have to, the flashpoint would be too, like higher than 400 degrees. Right. That's what I'm saying. Um, I'm obviously the wrong person to talk about this, but I feel like if this was a thing, people would already have done it. That's probably true. Or maybe you're a revolutionary guy over here. Probably not. You're you're like the next. You're gonna be the guy that people are like, oh my god, he, he it's the ball of ball temper. You know, as long as I don't quench in a plastic tub like the dude on Fortune Fire did, I think I'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> guy burned down his shop on live television. Oh my god, I didn't know that. And not quite burned it down, but he definitely had a pretty good fire going in his shop when oh, he went Jesus. to quench his sword, and yeah, it was bad. Yeah. What what kind of a plastic tub? I don't know. Fiberglass or something. It was ridiculous. Like you're like, why would you quench that? Don't quench that. And then he quenches it, and then his shop's on fire. I've seen people do quench tanks out of PVC before, and those I always felt like that's like the most sketchy thing because you hit the side and you might like poke a hole. I've done that. Ugh, of course you have. You ever you you never been working on a knife and out of the forge and decide you're gonna cool it down and shove it right through your bucket? No. no. See, I use an ammo can. Oh. So, you know, there's there's no, it's all metal. That's what I quench in now. Right. But never, th- oh, or hot ta- tongs. You ever throw hot tongs in a plastic bucket? I have done that. I have done that, like a little five-gallon type situation. And the worst is you, you stick them in there, and then you take off, you know, a glove or whatever, and then you grab the wrong side, and you scald the, your finger. Not the a worst. good time. Never a good time. I th- I'm pretty sure I would take colored heat over black heat what do you mean so black heat is when you're no no no. i know i know what the two are what do you mean we would rather call it like a red heat than a black hot well i'd just rather grab a red hot blade than a black hot blade why because the uh when you grab the black hot blade your skin sticks i guess i've never had that you can like you it'll peel skin where if you touch a red hot blade it sizzles like you sear it's gonna be a straight you're going to burn your nerve endings off, but your skin's not going to stick Hey, to I have an idea. How about we just don't do either of these things? That sounds terrible. So it's a really good would you rather. <laughs> would you rather. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But, Jeremy, yeah, um, I appreciate you sitting down. I, first of all, I want to thank you for coming all the way up to Michigan from Toledo. Like, we, you drove three hours, almost three hours, to help me out all day today. And like, what was crazy is we're, we're hanging drywall and like, it's, I, I wanted to help as much as I could, but like, it's not a two man job. I was just getting in the way. Well, like I was telling you, you know, some jobs expect you to hang 40 boards by yourself that are 10 foot. Right. Right. But yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. I mean, we, we hung four today, but I just felt like a lazy piece of shit sitting watching you do it. (laughs) It's all right. But yeah, I I mean, it's it's what I do. I, like I I said, I, I enjoy I just enjoy what I do. Sure. Um, I'm really hoping that later on in the spring or the summer, if, you know, because we're so close, it'd be cool. You've come up to me now twice. The first time was Frankenmuth. Hey, what? Shit, we've got some more time. Let's let's talk about the Frankenmuth experience. The first time I met you, it was kind of funny because, you know, we, we planned on doing this fire festival in Frankenmuth, which is right between my shop and my hometown or my old shop in the hometown. And um, so basically we, we got a, what it was like four blacksmiths or 
counting me, five blacksmiths. And uh, we're, we're doing this, basically we're demoing, you know, making knives or whatever we're making and then selling knives or whatever. But uh, some of us sold knives. Well, you know, when, when you when you're good at gabbing and like drawing people in. But um, so what was kind of funny is like you and I had talked forever on Instagram, like we're buddies on Instagram. And, you know, we stay the night at my parents house. And I, I told my parents like, oh, yeah, my buddy Jeremy's coming up and there's a spare bedroom and like it's no big deal. But um, you walk in the front door. I'm like, oh, Jeremy, it's nice to meet you in person. My parents are like, oh, my God, you've never met this guy before? <laughs> Not to mention going down the stone road out in BFE down to your parents. I'm like, where right. is this guy bringing me? I've never met before. <laughs> yeah, I can see how it looks like, you know, it's it's one of those roads where it's like you, you come off a pavement road and then it's just kind of like, you know, there's trees and, you know, woods and shit. Yeah. I thought I was in Kentucky. Nope. Yeah. The, I mean, I've always said the further north from Detroit, the further south you end up. Well, see, it sums it up. Yeah, Makes pretty sense. much. But, um, you know, we, we had a good time. You know, we, we, for, fuck, why am, why am I telling you about it? You're right here. So, what, how did you feel that that experience went over? It's funny. Emily asked if I would go back. Yeah, would you? I said, yeah. Yeah. I said, I, I enjoyed just the forging. I said, I don't, I don't even care if I sold anything. Right. Oh, uh, I, it, uh, it escapes me. I cannot remember the guy who was next to us that we got a picture with, and he's on Instagram. Garrett Owen? You know, I should probably look that up. So, but just being able to forge and learn from those guys that are, in, in my eyes, those guys were more of a blacksmith than I am. I'm a bladesmith. I That's the way I would label myself. But just being able to forge and learn from those guys, you know, getting to, to use the coal forge and forge weld out of, out of that, just learning how that works a little bit. And I just, that, that, that in itself was enough for me to want to go back. And it was, it was really nice that they, that they placed us all together. Yeah. Cause if we would have had to sit, sit next to somebody who was selling paintings, like not that I don't respect her craft, but it's like, we don't have a lot in common. Yeah. Whereas we really got along with the guys that they, they had us around. So that was nice. <laughs> well, so the, the guy I looked him up, his name is Garrett Waterman over at <sighs> Waterman Ironworks. W-A-T-E-R-M-A-N Ironworks. Yeah, it's, it's probably pretty obvious Waterman <laughs> Ironworks. But, yeah, you never know. You know. Go check him out. He's at 446 followers. So let's go ahead and jump that up. Why not? But uh, well, it was kind of an eclectic group because the two of us, like, we were kind of like, you know, we're we're buddy buddy. And then this Garrett guy to our left, he was also like really, you know, he was very sociable and whatnot. So we, the three of us, were middle, like the middle two tents, the middle two forging setups. The one on our right hand side was an older gentleman doing some phenomenal blacksmith. Oh my god! And like the thing was, is he had he had a coal coal, you know, forge. And, you know, pretty, pretty, you know, not a huge cold forge and a pretty decent size anvil, but he was doing like, he was doing like stickers and tongs and, you know, like. He made them really sweet things for the mason jars. Right. Oh yeah. He made like those mason jar handles yeah. where it, it like clicked together around the mason jar and then like this big squirrel around and then touched the bottom of it. So it turned it into a mug. That was awesome. That was really cool. But like the dude. He started at like 6 a.m. and he stopped forging at 8 p.m. He never, like, maybe he stopped for lunch. 
Maybe a beer. He had a beer afterwards. But, like, the dude just was constant. And, like, he didn't have a huge hammer. He was just using a little hammer and little ding, 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 because everything was those, like, really thin wire, Like, not wires, but little thin pieces that he was scrolling around and doing all this, you know, ornate work. That is efficient hammer work. Super efficient hammer work. Like, he was just pumping stuff out. But, like, he wasn't very sociable because, you know, he was constantly working and, like, you didn't want to interrupt him. Right. And then <laughs> you remember the guy to the far left. I was going to bring it up, but I was like, hey, do I want to say anything? That guy, <laughs> that guy was, you know, I'm, I'm sorry if you listen. I really feel bad. But, like, he was, he was out there. Let's just say he was, he was a special human. He was really going to town on and like, the railroad spikes. Yeah, he was doing railroad spike knives on a railroad track anvil in a Coke forge that – you know, it was, it was home built for sure. But like he, he had like this whole like old school setup. Um, like it was kind of like he, his like pirate themed outfit. And then he had like this makeup going from like ear to ear across his eyes. Was, that, was he smearing the coal on his face? Was that what that was? That wasn't even makeup. It was coal across his face, like war paint. And then uh, he, whenever, so like, the flow of traffic, it would start from the guy to our right, and it would go across all of us, and he was, like, the end one. So he would get the forge up really hot, and he would get, like, these railroad spikes just glowing hot. And then any time that people were around, he would grab one out of the, the, the Coke forge, put it on the railroad spike, and he would just yell, I breathe fire! And he would smack it as hard as he could and throw sparks. <laughs> like, obviously, he's just mashing steel to throw sparks. Yeah, but he had a blast. Oh, my God. He was, like, he was wild. It was just the most, like, he was crazy, man, foraging. <laughs> was, hopefully, and like, hopefully, if we go back, he's there again. Yeah, I really hope so. Because, like, we went over there, and I was, like, trying to talk to him. And, like, he was just super focused on whatever he was doing. It was, like, oh, yeah. And then he just would continue working. <laughs> he's in his own little world. He was, he was just wild man he was crazy yeah it was it was i thought it was enjoyable i should probably try to communicate with some people and try to sell some stuff but see that was that was difficult because i feel like the two of us sitting side by side like i had what would you say probably 30 knives sitting out including that sword from the the fantasy challenge i've decided i need a wild piece yeah you do i don't yeah maybe a katana so no, you like, need you need something to bring them in, and then smaller price things like the nano neck knives and the smaller skinners. Yeah. See, the problem was is like I had a bunch of stuff that I had made a long time ago that I prettied up and like we're selling for cheap, and then you're sitting next to me with your really high end stuff that is like three hundred, four hundred bucks, and it's it's just you know the the whole thing is just fire in general. It wasn't just the blacksmith thing. There is like people. I don't know. It's just kind of blowers, glass blowers, and and like you know, it was it was mostly just like a um art, like an art fest or yeah. like a. So people weren't. It's not like it was like a gun show or a knife show, where people are coming here to drop a couple hundred dollars on a knife. I thought it was nice that we could like actually live demo stuff. Yeah, that was like a lot that's of fun. different. It I was, and I was a jackass because like going into it, I loaded up my van by myself. I loaded my anvil by myself, which together between my, my anvil and the base, it's like, you know, 250 pounds and like just absolutely destroyed my back. 
So by the time I got there and like, I couldn't forge for more than like 10, 15 minutes or my, like my back was given out. So here I am trying to do live, like you guys were doing live demos and I was kind of, you know, relegated to my chair, which yeah, helped me selling. You yeah, know? yeah. I was going to say, but that, you sold like six knives. So yeah, well, you know, it's, it's part of the hustle. Hey, you win some, you lose some. Yeah. Well, like, but that's the thing is like, you know, I was, I was kind of pulling people in. And so obviously like, they're going to look at my shit where you were actually doing the work in the back where like I, I had an unfair advantage. It felt like, so it's I kind of right. feel bad about it. It's okay. I'm just not a people person. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm doing half the work. Well, it is what it is. Right. Like not, Brian says, right. Yeah, exactly. My God is Brian still in this conversation. Maybe we need to shut this thing down. But yeah, Jeremy, I really appreciate you jumping into this podcast. I appreciate you coming over and helping me out with the new house, putting up that drywall and teaching me how to do it. Oh. Yeah. So Jeremy, where can people find you? I'm on Instagram, Facebook. You can check out my TikTok if you want. It's pretty cringy, but I'm on all social medias at 419forging. 419forging. I don't know why I didn't say that at the beginning. So I don't know, but... Uh... It's not 419, I promise you that. 419, that's the way to say it? Yes, sir. Okay, so Jeremy Ballable, again, I I don't know how long this thing, this outro, I'm not going to hit it right. Ugh. Win some, you lose some. You win some, you lose some. Thank you, man. I appreciate you. Thanks, Brian. This thing's just keep going. Just look, I, I saw you over there. You're looking at your watch. Battery died. Battery died. Is the battery going to die in this outro? Maybe it will. I don't know. Must be a Metallica intro. <laughs> See you guys.